I do want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, we're going to pick up. We are kind of in the middle of the front page there, kind of looking at the primary passage that everything flowed into and is going to flow a little bit out of as well. Uh, So Romans chapter 13. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I heard about a speech, and it was a speech where someone was kind of giving a speech about uh, America and the Western world, and it was very interesting. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, So, anyway, here it goes. They are waging increasingly aggressive information attacks. They are targeting the young generations. They are lying at every step. They are distorting historical truth. They are attacking our culture, the church, and other traditional religious institutions in terms of our country. Look at what they are doing to their people. They are destroying the institution of the family, their cultural historical identity. There are various perversions that are taking place with regard to their children up to pedophilia, and these things are being accepted as the new norm. And what is happening is the religious leaders are being forced to recognize and officiate even same-sex weddings. What we want to say to America is maybe they should take a look in the scriptures into the holy book of any great religion. It says that the family is a union between woman and man, and these holy texts are now being increasingly doubted in the West. The Anglican Church is now considering the idea of a gender-neutral God. What can we say? God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Millions of people in the West realize they are being led towards a spiritual catastrophe, People are going mad, and this does not seem to be treatable, but this is their problem, and it is our duty to protect protect our children, and it's something we're going to do to protect them from this degradation. Quote, Vladimir Putin. Now, do we trust Vladimir Putin? Probably not. Is he trying to weaponize religion, like so many religious leaders in the past? But it was interesting hearing those words coming from a world leader making an accusation. I don't know if it gets you more stirred up or not. Again, you get in trouble these days if you say anything positive about anybody outside of the country, and I would not say it's possible, but positive, but there are things there that are true. There are things there that are accurate. As I said, we're in Romans chapter 13. I encourage you to turn there. We were in the middle of the applications of what takes place here in terms of this authority so, and what is hack, happening in terms of authority. So just for a little bit of review, let's read the first four verses there and then we'll jump into verses, uh, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 as well. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything except love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. There are a, number, a couple of applications that we see here. Verse 4, we kind of dug into just a little bit there about these governing applications. 
we have here in God's word a reminder of what government, when it is right, or what government is rightly doing, almost we could say some, some um, goals that we could see in terms of government. And verse 3 kind of talks a little bit about this. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good, and you'll have praise the same. But here, Paul says we need to do that which is good. Whether it is for or against the government, I think we need to know. We are supposed to do what's good, what is right. That is the first and foremost thing. So as we get to this, this is what it explains what the governing applications are. This is what the government is supposed to be doing. They are not supposed to be a terror to good works. Does that always take place? No. But that is at least what is the, maybe we would say something that we would say in terms of accountability. There's also this reminder, if you do evil, be afraid. He doesn't bear the sword in vain. He's God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And so, therefore, happens in verse 5. And for this cause, because of, we would say, the force or the power or the sword in terms of government, he says, you must be, maybe it says there in your translation, you must needs be, this is a necessity, there is a law of uh, a duty in terms of being under the, uh, the government. There, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. So not only because of wrath, and again, wrath has just been used the term in terms of force. Uh, there are going to be consequences for pushing back against the government, depending on which way you're going about doing that. We also have to, and this is where it gets worse, not only is it just because you're going to get in trouble, but Paul here kind of, kind of pulls a low blow a little bit, but for conscience's sake, for the cause of conscience. Paul, as he is writing about what we'd maybe call the proper functioning of government and why we as believers should be uh, set the example of what it means to be in sub- subjection to a legitimate authority, reminds us that they've been established by God and thus they have a level of authority and we need to be worried about that. But the second reason is this conscience thing. Conscience, he, he's saying here, oh yeah, it's almost like he throws it in there, oh yeah, because of conscience. What? Because of conscience? What are you talking about here? Uh, we, we need to remember this. It's necessary to submit because it's possible you're going to be punished and because of your conscience. It's like, uh, it almost feels like a little bit of a throwaway line, but conscience is not a throwaway line when it comes to Paul. Conscience involves a sense of right and wrong and an awareness to do what God has led us to be right. When Paul speaks of conscience, he is, lifting this, he is kind of lifting this up. He's going from submission to the governing of, of authorities at a pragmatic level to now saying you need to not only obey because you'll get in trouble if you don't, you need to obey because that's the right thing to do and that is what God is calling you to do. Let's not forget what government is in place when Paul is talking about this. This is Rome. This is not a representative republic. Uh, this is a pretty dirty rotten, awful government that was taking place, one that was starting to be and will continue to be on the attack against believers. God works in our hearts and lives, and God has even used his his spirit within us so that we not only are supposed to do what is right and wrong because, well, there's consequences, but also because we know what to do what is right, and we are led by the spirit to do what is right. There's kind of the two levels of obedience. Even as we are raising our children, we want them to do what is right, and part of the process is if you do not do what is right, there will be consequences. You may get some sort of, are we recording this? 
we may do that. We may also have some sort of, let's use the term corporal punishment, some sort of, or else you're just going to ground them, you know, or you're going to make a threat like a dad does. You, you no longer have privileges for the rest of your life, right? Because dads make big, bra- braggadocious type of threats. And we want to say, if you do this, you're gonna have, there are going to be consequences. But I think rightfully we would say our prayer is that we and our kids would grow to the point that the reason they are making the right decisions is because the impact of the Spirit of God and the Word of God on their hearts and on their lives and even on their conscience. And then he, he gets even a little, this is why you pay taxes. For any person out there who's like, well, we don't pay taxes because we have a bad government. The Word of God says that's not the way it works. That's not how Christ says it works. That's not how we are supposed to say it's worked. Pay tribute. God says, Christ says, as we know, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. What he's saying is the taxes are theirs. Why? Because you are submit to them and you are to act correctly. Because they are God's ministers. Why do we pay them? Pay them because God put them there because they are supposed to be attending continually. It's really kind of defining what has taken place. When we think overall, it's not just that we're, we're giving money to the government. We have to recognize that when we think about even when we think about our servicemen and women, when we think about first responders, when we think about police, and we think about EMT and all of those things, we have those who are putting their lives on the line. There is a, a, this principle of attending continually that is taking place. So he says there that render, therefore, and the word render there is interesting. It's, it's a word that means settle your debt. Pay what is owed. Render to all their due. Make sure you get this right. Make sure you handle this right. And, and, and so we have this responsibility in terms of respect, in terms of honor, in terms of all that we are supposed to look to. And this kind of rolls over into, I know for a lot of us, verse 8 kind of gets into the next passage there, the next section in your Bible, but it's owe no one anything. It's kind of coming off of you're not supposed to be in debt, even to those who are in authority. We need to make sure we pay off our debts and do that. And, and really the idea of the passage of Romans 13, as we're now going to kind of bounce off of that into the rest of this, is we as believers bring glory to God by submitting to God, first and foremost, and by respectfully submitting to and honoring God-ordained authorities in our lives. The way that we go about doing this is so very important. We are to be, excuse me, we are to be in submission. There should be even the way that we stand up against the government if the time comes that we need to stand up against something that is not good and not right should be even a way that we must, as the apostles showed us in the book of Acts, we have to honor God rather than men. And we are not doing this in a dishonorable way manner. Any of you remember the first time you had to say no to your parents or no, I'm not going to do it that way, but you were able to because you were an adult? No, mom, I'm not going to, we're not going to do it that way. Remember the first time I had to, my mom was telling us how we were going to do Christmas and I was like, I love you, mom. And you've been right most of my life. I just said that. It's not necessarily true about Bev Berman, but I said, but no, that we're not going to be able to do it that way. This is how it's going to have to work because of family, because of my responsibilities, and all those type of things. We have to be careful when we have this attitude in submission to our government. We need to make sure that there's a reason we are doing what we are doing. We'll talk about that kind of at the end here. But we need to make sure that we do it with a respect level and with a, there is a higher level here. So how do we be consistent? 
We love the term liberty, right? I'm sure that you are like, I like liberty, not just for the auto, auto commercials that we've had around here, but we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to think about liberty and what it means to be at liberty, to have freedom. Um, and there are questions. I'm going to kind of try to give you some questions to think about in these areas and just make some quick little comments to get us thinking a little bit. Are there limitations? Are there legitimate limitations to liberty? Should we all be at liberty to do anything we want? I think we know the answer to that, right? We should not be at liberty to do anything we want. Does the Bible say anything about a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes? How did that era look? Judges gives us this reminder, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, we could make the case that anarchy prevailed. We talked about anarchy at the beginning of this. Liberty must have limits. There has to be limits to liberty. And so we need to understand these things if we think about this. So in what sense? And so there's the, these are these kind of three areas at least to think about a little bit. And some of this is just a kind of, you know, one of, the, one of my young people in the past used, used to say, he said, sometimes you just stick a stir stick in my head and go like this. That's kind of what we're doing tonight for a little bit, all right? First is there liberty of thought. Should the government limit the opinions of its citizens. John Stuart Mill argued that, the liberty of, that liberty of thought should be absolute. The government should not limit thought in any manner. He said this, in part, it's because it is difficult to get people to change their beliefs and almost impossible to know whether you've really succeeded. People could say they've changed their minds when they haven't, and it virtually invites dishonesty. But it's also because thoughts don't cause harm to others the way that actions do. How do you put, liber- put reservations in terms of thought? We are free to think about the things that we think about. But I also think we have to add, according to the Word of God, there are things we ought not to be thinking about and not to be dwelling on. When we think about the book of James that we went through, when it talks about what happens when a temptation or a thought, we allow that to be something to dwell on. We allow that to be something to kind of take root. So we have to be careful to recognize that the Word of God, I don't know, the Word of God has a little list of things that says, think on these things, correct? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. So we have a liberty of thought, but we are reminded the Word of God says these are the things that we should be thinking about. These are the things that we should be considering. However, is that the government's responsibility? I would say I think that falls outside of what the Word of God says in terms of that type of freedom giving or taking. Liberty of expression. We understand. uh, Maybe we'd ask the question, should the government ever limit limit the freedom of expression? Freedom of the press, we think about. Academic freedom. uh, Freedom to assembly. Of course, the Bill of Rights was a big part of that, guaranteeing the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, and those type of things. But there are, ex- uh, there are exceptions. There are freedom of expression that should be avoided in order to risk harming others. I think one of the, the typical ones is you don't get to yell fire in a crowded, in a crowded venue when no fire exists. It's, I, I, I'm sure you've told your kids this. It's actually illegal to be joking around about bombs in airports. That is a violation of the law. And we would say, well, hey, I'm free to say whatever I want. Actually, it is true. You are free to say whatever you want, and you will freely receive the condemnation and the consequences of saying whatever you want. 
In some senses, I think that a lot of our liberty aspects, what we also have to recognize is there are things we are free to do, but we have to accept the consequences from coming what we have freely done. Sure, you're free to do what you want, but there will be things that happen as a result of that, whether judgment, whether condemnation, whether consequences. So, and like for example, the Constitution guarantees the freedom of the press, but we also recognize that there are laws against libel, against slander. And for the most part, though, I would say we do enjoy the, the freedom of expression. I think it's important to defend the freedom of expression. I think sometimes the, the reason for that is because usually whoever's in power, whatever they're banning, sometimes has truth to it or is the actual truth. So there are times that banned material is actually true. At times in history, and even today, we find that truth can be stifled or even banned. I would also say that free discussion is one of the best ways for people to differentiate truth from falsehood. There are some that we use the term the, the, the public forum of ideas. Truth and error can be sifted out in that, but are not always sifted out in terms of that. Freedom of discussion also is a very good and important part of the, the development of critical thinking as people reason through the issues. Uh, for myself, I've, I've found that as a, as a youth pastor, one of the things that concerned me is because there was a certain aspect of where young people had only heard this little sliver of this is what's right, this is the word of God. And, and all of those things were very true, but they had never encountered someone who was, let's use, just use the term, pretty slick knew how to talk, uh, was very relatable, and says, well, that kind of makes sense to me. They did not know how to sit and critically think through what is true, what is right, what is wrong about this thing, what are the uh, argumentations that they are using that are not right argumentations, to be able to critically think, what's going on here, what is the angle, maybe the best question, remember, what, what's the first question we talked about when we get to all this stuff? Where did that come from? Where is that coming from? Why are you saying it that way? And sometimes people can say very true statements, but the intention behind it is not so true. And so the opportunity to have to be able to have some free discussion uh, is a little bit a part of this. And, and I think we could also make the case without free discussion, um, what happens is belief starts to work into just carbon copied proof text dogma that just keeps getting parroted out, but it's not internalized or personalized. There are points in time for all, almost all of us adults where we finally have to get to the point where we realize, I need to make sure I'm not just saying what my parents said. Do I believe this or not? And what do I believe? And why do I believe it? And I think that works a little bit better when it comes under some guidance and mentoring and discipleship instead of out on our own. It's liberty of action. And so liberty of action is should the government limit the freedom of action? And I think we would agree it seems very necessary to do so for the sake of justice, for the sake of some type of stability. Uh, there are those that they, and the world kind of uses this, as long as it doesn't harm someone, you should be free to do whatever you want to do. But there are some argumentations against that. For example, let's say you and someone else are vying for, let's go, let's go student age. You and someone else are vying for a scholarship but that other person is of a little bit less means than you are, all right? And so you're trying to apply for this large scholarship, and only one of you can get it, and you are better qualified. But if he or she does not get it, there will be some financial harm. They will have a harder time getting whatever that is. Does this mean that you should not be allowed to apply for that scholarship? Does this mean that you should not have access to that? 
Would you, because you maybe would, somebody would say, you are harming a person by taking that away from someone else? It's interesting. That's kind of an older argument. But this is one of the problems we have going on within our society today, which is you shouldn't have that because someone else doesn't. And you should not be allowed to have that, and we need to make sure that they do. So does that mean you're not allowed to do this? Um, is a police officer, uh, are they allowed to shoot a fleeing criminal who points a gun at them? That kind of violates the do no harm to someone in their free actions. Should he not be allowed to harm such a citizen? Is a private citizen allowed to defend their own lives and property by inflicting harm on a criminal that is intruding? So there has to be at least a little bit of a modification of as long as you don't harm someone, you should be free to have action. Maybe we could say this, as long as you do not unjustly harm another, there should be freedom in terms of action. You may justly go after that scholarship. A police officer may justly discharge a firearm at a criminal and remain just. Obvious though, obviously, though, that doesn't mean that a shop owner should pull a gun on an eight-year-old stealing candy. In fact, I'm glad that didn't happen because I had, a, I had a grocery store owner catch me one time doing that. I'm glad that there was a proportionate amount of, uh, of, of punishment and consequences that came from that. But although when my parents found out about it, I did want to die. There's responsibility that comes with liberty. I think there, there's a couple of different ways. There, 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 there are two different directions this can go. People who are a little bit, little bit more, we use the term libertarianism, uh, really within government emphasizes individual liberty and really goes after excluding government interference as long as it doesn't uh, harm others. People who would be purist in terms of libertarian insist, though, that there are things that the government should legalize because... Um, it really isn't going to do any harm, or at least their idea of what harm is. They would say the government should legalize voluntary drug, drug use, but they should prosecute those who are reckless when it comes to that. A person can use, for example, you can use heroin at home as long as it doesn't harm others, and you take the responsibility for harming yourself, right? It's the seatbelt stuff. Government can't tell me to wear my seatbelt. Well, they do. Are you free to not wear your seatbelt? Again, I think what helps a little bit of this is you, but you are absolutely free to not wear your seatbelt, but there will be consequences. And actually, there may be harder consequences than just a fine and a ticket, right? There are potential consequences that could happen in that case. So a purist, in terms of that, they believe, in fact, it's interesting, there are some libertarians that believe that prostitution should be legalized as long as the prostitute is freely consenting to that activity, which kind of gets it to, do we legislate morality? We'll get to that in a moment. Then, then there's kind of the other side, which is more of a paternal viewpoint, which is the government is supposed to keep people from harming themselves. The government is like the big parent, which, by the way, governments love that. We will tell you what to do. We will tell you how to live your lives. In fact, we're going to take all your money and use it the way that we want to. But, you know, again, should the government demand that we wear seatbelts? Should it demand that there are motorcycle helmets? What's the line in terms of that? How far should the government get involved? Should the government ban smoking? Should the government ban the use of trans fats in restaurants? Things like that. And that is a law out there. And I think for us as believers, we have to recognize there's, there's a balance here. I don't think we can be completely libertarian, and we definitely shouldn't be overly paternalistic because we believe that the Word of God says there are, there are different spheres of responsibility. Different people who are in leadership or authority have different levels of responsibility. It is not the government's job 
to tell us every single thing to do, but they're sure going to try. But it also just, it, there also are responsibilities that we have within, whether it's within church, within a local government, within our homes. Those are important, which kind of gives us to conservatism. And, and I could go for a long time on this, but the term conservatism kind of has a, a different, probably a different theory or a different definition today than it used to. But really the, the basis of being a conservative is you want to conserve the things that are in place. It's actually a little bit the opposite of activism. A political, a person who would be politically liberal uh, is emphasizing there, there are things that need to be pushed. And that's why we, that we would say there is a term of progressivism. And even when it comes to conservatism, we should be free to want to conserve those things that the Word of God instructs and the insight that the Word of God gives us. So how does this apply then to politics, the Christian in politics? So we're going to kind of, you can look up the verses there ahead of time if you want. We're going to talk about some different things. There's two layers of this. I think you kind of have New Testament obligations where we're talking about, okay, the Word of God has some specific things to say. But I also think that there are some areas that we have some, what I'd call, some American responsibilities. So some New Testament obligations is the first one that we've got there. Uh, so let's, uh, let's kind of work through a few of these. Um, first of all, there is the reminder of respect. We already saw Romans chapter 13. We saw that in verse 7. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn over there, I'm going to actually read verses 13 to 17. It says, So therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That verse 15 there in 1 Peter 2 is important because it actually is talking about there is a testimony here that takes place. As free, verse 16, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor or respect all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I know what you're thinking. It's like, I, I don't know if I'm in like that honor the king thing. But there is respect. We've already kind of read the verses there. The next one there is submission. The word of God talks about these things going together. There is a level of honor and respect, and there is a level of submission that has to be in place when it comes to the authorities in our lives. Titus 3.1 says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. And so there's kind of two aspects of that because there are some times that there's obeying, but then there's also you have to be ready to do good. And especially that becomes more difficult when doing good runs contrary or counter to what the government is saying. So we need to submit. There's a submission aspect. We need to pay our taxes. We always saw, already saw the taxes there in Romans uh, chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 and se through 17 is the passage that I referenced where uh, they're trying to, the, uh, to trick Christ and trying to get him to get in trouble with the Israelites. And he says there, kind of leading into verse 16, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it and said to him, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God, and they marveled at him. And throughout the Synoptic Gospels, you also have those parallels. So there is New Testament, uh, a New Testament obligation in terms of paying our taxes. There also is prayer. If you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 there, it says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for everyone in the church. Is that what it says? No, be made for all 
men, for kings who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So we have some obligations in the New Testament that are, we would call them general governmental authority obligations. So what do we do then when it comes to American responsibilities? Because there are specific applications within specific governmental layouts and setups that are unique. New Testament believers did not live in a democratic representative republic. And so where we live and what we are under, at least currently, it's not a lifetime guarantee. It's been a good run so far. Let's pray it lasts a lot longer. In this system, who is the government? We the people. We the people have our elected officials. They are to represent us. So there is a responsibility, I think, that comes there. We too, sometimes, too often, don't take upon ourselves the reminder of the responsibility, whether it is voting, whether it is holding governmental officials accountable to writing the letter, making the phone call, expressing, hey, this is not right. This is not something that goes. And there are times that I, I listen to, I, I try to send out emails. I've even written letters. Uh, I have made a phone call, which is always exciting, because basically get put on hold on that. But I've made phone calls even to my representatives to say, hey, I just want to express that this thing is on the table here, and I think that's a violation of morality. It is a violation of God's law. And as a person who votes for you, I want you to know, if you vote for this, you will never have my vote again. So make sure you mark that down. This is my name, this is my address, this is my zip code, just to make sure you know I am in your district or in your state, whatever that is. Pastor Dave, well, yeah, and, but although this is what's been hard, there's been a couple times I've said that, and then when it comes time to choose between that guy and that guy, that guy is a guy that I told him I'm never going to vote for him again, but man, he's way better than the other guy, because that other guy is a heathen. Ugh. So, it's, this is a good Baptist term. We talk about government, congregational rule. I will abstain. There are times to abstain. And that line to abstain has a lot to do with doing what is good and conscious sake, which leads us into these things. So here's some things. I, I kind of kind of put some verses there a little bit. Um, we need to, it is critical that we are not only free and we understand our freedoms, but we are virtuous and take serious our responsibilities. Uh, the Word of God says, I love Proverbs 14, 34. I don't even know if that's on there. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We need to stand for righteousness. So we kind of have to, in this place, kind of infer some principles is what I'd say. You have to take some principles in the Word of God and kind of push them forward. One, Exodus 18, 21. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And I know what you're saying. That list of, that list of check marks means I can't vote for anybody. And I feel your pain. But at least there is this principle of trying to at least consider character. A candidate that, I use some specific terms here, promotes Biblical character as much as is within you. And most of the time we'd say, well, that candidate doesn't show it. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. It's kind of all of them, or at least close to all of them. But there is a responsibility. The first message I preached right before an election when I was a senior pastor is I preached a message entitled, Pastor Dave tells you who to vote for. 
which you all know that would be a violation of a lot of things if I stood up here and said, you must vote for this person. Although progressives, never mind. And this is what I did. We went through Exodus. We talked about we need to aim for one who promotes or at least is of character. Do we always get what we want? (laughs) No. But there's a privilege and responsibility, and there's an importance of seeing the characters of leaders. And I want to also say this, because I kind of touched on this last time. I won't stand on as loud as I... We need to be really quick to point out the character flaws and sins of our representatives that we promote so much around our kids. When we're willing to almost give everything and promote everything about a person whose character, whose moral character is a dumpster fire, we need to point out that man is a sinner. That man is bad. That man in his life has shown himself not to be a faithful person. And that is not an acceptable thing. So we are not going to raise him to the level of some side of some sort of uh, political deity. We are doing damage to our young people as we just try to promote people that we aren't willing. See, we can point out what is right is right, what is wrong is wrong, and be really consistent. And we can hold people responsible. Vote and work towards and for just and righteous laws and policies. Well, what does that mean? There's a whole debate about legislating morality. Uh, I saw this quote the other day. I liked it. It was uh, someone talking about legislating morality, and I think it's a really good point of view. It says this, I believe that legislating morality is important because morality is the foundation of any functioning society. Without a shared set of moral principles, there could be no trust, there can be no cooperation, and there can be no sense of responsibility among citizens. Furthermore, laws are always reflected in a reflection of some moral code or worldview, even if that code or worldview is not explicitly acknowledged. And I would say within our founding documents, there is a core worldview that is there. For example, laws against theft and murder are based on the moral principle uh, of what the Word of God says or harm to other people and to not take what doesn't belong to us. Laws against lying under oath are based on the moral principle that truth-telling is important. When a society fails to legislate morality, it allows harmful behaviors to go unchecked. It will lead to social decay, harm to individuals and communities. And this person says, I believe that God's moral law is the best basis for civil law because it is a perfect, just, and unchanging law. Therefore, it is important to promote laws that are in line with God's moral principles as this will lead to a society that is healthier, more just, and more in line with God's will. We should vote and work towards right laws, right policies. We should be informed. If you're going to vote and you're going to participate in the political process, you need to be educated. You need to be informed in order to make wise decisions. I've already kind of said this. I think there is rightful biblical criticism of governmental leaders. John the Baptist kind of gives that example, doesn't he? Where he, he calls out Herod for his marriage, uh, his basically adulterous, immoral marriage to his sister-in-law. Was John the Baptist free to do that? Yep. Was he right to do that? Yep. Did he pay the consequences for doing that? Yes, he did. So what are some goals that we have? What are some Christian goals? And for this, I, I just kind of, I, I try to kind of put down a list, and this has kind of worked out, out of a couple of, of lists. What, what are some goals that we're looking towards in terms of the political process? Um, one is the protection of innocent human life. This is a fundamental issue. If a person is not alive, they do not get to enjoy liberty. It's amazing how many people vote to kill children that didn't get killed as a child. And 
we could have an interesting debate. I had, I've had some believers debate with me about what it means to be a single-issue type of voter. My answer is I'm not a single-issue voter, but there is a single issue that I start from, and that's the place. Does that mean there are people that I've voted for that are a little wishy-washy on that? And maybe you would even say, I don't know if they're fully for that. My answer would be, yeah, there are probably some times there. And I have my own reasons and my own conscience, and there's a reason you don't get to look over my shoulder when I vote for who I vote for. But this one is a, the point that I start. This is where I start right now. Now, there's some other things there, but uh, we'll kind of... The preservation of religious liberty for the Christian, for a believer, the freedom of religion is more important than your freedom of economics. Freedom of religion is an important thing when, I, when we think about these things. The preservation of law and order, I would say Romans 13 gets to that, right? This is what government is supposed to do. So those are some good leading principles for how am I going to vote and who am I going to vote for. Are there those that line up with how they view government is supposed to operate and government is supposed to work? The provision of justice for all. We talked about last time about that Rhode Island being that first Baptist colony, that religious liberty. There, there, has to be, uh, there has to be an equality, an equality of all, an equality in terms of religions and religious viewpoints in that. That doesn't mean they're all equally right, but they all equally have the right. The perpetuation of the family. Does the government, I want to vote for a government that seeks to protect and work with and sustain the other institutions that God has put in place. Marriage, family the church. I want to vote in a way that in terms of policy and in terms of direction, there are protections and things that are helping out in terms of those ways. The promotion of biblical values. We could list all what those are. The promotion of safety, uh, security, safety, and stability. We even think about that verse there, 1 Timothy 2, 2, is that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And I put Jeremiah 29, 7 there. It's an interesting verse in the midst of all Jeremiah's talk. I said, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away and captive. Pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. That verse kind of messed me up one time when I was reading it. Because basically Jeremiah is saying, all right, you are a captive, you are a slave, you've been carried away. You need to pray for the peace of the nation that enslaved you. Because that's where you're at. Let's face it. We're living more as exiles than we have in the past. We can learn a lot from the word of God of what it means to live as an exile out of place if we do have a government that is turning against us. We, want, we should want to have a prosperous nation, to have a military that can secure us in, against external enemies. I think there is a, a, a want to see economic stability for the welfare of others. And through that security and stability, we have the opportunity to live quiet and peaceable lives even if it's a government that enslaves us, even if it's a government that we get to vote for. The promotion of the commonwealth or the public good is what we're talking about there. So what does this mean? And you kind of look these up. Just like, These are kind of some, I would say, these things not to forget. As a Christian citizen, one is don't yearn for a Christian state. Don't yearn for a Christian state. If there's anything we've learned from history, it's that once the government becomes a religious state, it does not go well, the concept of the separation of church and state is a biblical context. We should yearn for Satan to not have power over our leaders. We need to pray for them. It talks about this uh, when it comes to Ephesians. It talks about this when it comes to First Timothy. Prayers and supplications be made to everyone. 
Uh, in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your thanksgiving known to God. Uh, Proverbs 21.1, a great verse there. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Do you believe God can turn the heart of one of your leaders or many of your leaders? The word of God says he can. So we should pray to that end. A couple of other reminders. Satan loves governments. Matthew 4, 8 and 9, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. There's a lot there in terms of what is Satan's authority. Even we see little hints of the demonic structure in the world is actually regional, governmental type of, uh, of structure. The way that the satanic world works loves using governments to do certain things. So we have to be reminded, Satan loves using governments. Another reminder is that we are citizens of heaven first and foremost, and we have talked about this before. We are citizens of heaven. We want to look towards uh, the Lord. And so we want to be, be reminded that when it comes to Christ and when it comes to what he lays us to, in 1 Peter 2, it starts with the verses there is, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, all these things. Those are the verses before the verses we got to. After Peter points out your, all these things, his own special people, all of these things, having conduct that is honorable, he says, therefore, in light of who you are in Christ, submit yourselves to the ordinances of men. In light of who we are, and in light of our citizenship, we are then able to act rightfully in, within this citizenship. Our power is the power of the cross. And we lose our saltiness in the compromises of politics. We have to be careful when it comes to compromise. I encourage you to read the verses that are ahead. We're going to finish, we're going to do the cost considerations when we come together again. We're going to kind of walk through these because I've been standing up here saying submit, 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 honor, respect, all those things. But there's also another side of the coin here, and that is this. The Bible over and over, all throughout it, has people who do not submit They stand against. They stand for what is right. And we have example after example after example of these things, that there are right ways that we handle what happens when there's an oppressive government. It was interesting kind of hearing, for for those of you that heard uh, our, our brother in the missions conference talking about being thankful for what we have here in the United States of America. And I think we do need to do that. But we need to recognize what is God calling us to do. So we're going to walk through some of these next time. You can kind of read ahead. And then we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about legal and illegal immigration. And I'm just going to let you know, this is one I had not really dug into much. There are a ton of verses in the Bible. And there's a very clear difference between those who are just kind of traveling through an illegal and then what it means to be legally and immigrant. And what does the Bible say? And, and there, there's differences. There's difference of how one is treated, how, how the other is treated. And what the Word of God says about those things, since really what we're kind of coming off of was, was the what? No person is illegal. But there are actions that are illegal. So I want to encourage you. Submit to the governing authorities. Do what is good. Pray for our leaders. And don't lose your gospel testimony for a political angle. The gospel is what is primary. 
We want to point people back to the word. Why do you say what you say? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you vote how you vote? Why do you stand up the way you stand up? And the answer is because God's word says this. You should see this thing. There's a lot it has to say about what's right and wrong. In fact, it even talks about what happens when we are right or wrong before our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's been the goal the whole way, right? We've been remembering this. The goal is to point people to the Scripture so when they're in the Scripture, they see the gospel, and we are able to see them saved, and then the Holy Spirit can straighten them out and make them vote a certain political part. No, not that way. So the Lord will will do a work in their hearts. Heavenly Father, I thank you very much for all those in your word. And uh, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, we, we recognize and when we dig into your word and we think about a certain subject, there are parts of your word that just start to pop up off the page. And Lord, we're reminded when we pray for everyone, it includes our leaders. And your word is very clear about that. Your word gives us hope. Your word gives us instruction. Your word by your spirit changes our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would, even when and if in the future there are times where we must stand and say that is wrong, and even to have to face the consequences of government that would lash out at us for that, I would pray, Lord, that even when that time comes, we would do it in a manner that is submitting and respectful, yet also putting God as the person that is in authority. Thank you, Lord, that you are our authority. I pray that our lives will be lived as you, as our authority. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us not to get lost too much in the politics. Help us to celebrate when there are things that take place. Help us to celebrate. Help us to celebrate when something gets overturned that was an evil scourge upon our country. And that there are young lives that there are those who are being born because of that being overturned. Help us to recognize that that doesn't mean that everything's made right because the government can't do that because the hearts of our nation are turned a certain way. But Lord, I pray you would help us to point to and celebrate and be thankful for the times that the government that you have given us does what the word of God says it's supposed to do. And Lord, help us to be the type of citizens that take our responsibilities seriously. And Lord, please give us opportunities to point people to the one who is the way, the truth, the life, who is the authority, who will one day ultimately rule because there will be no more human government and our Savior will reign. Thank you for our time together here today, Lord. I pray that you'll help us in the week ahead. We ask this in the name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.